good morning, or whenever you're listening and wherever you're listening to this March 14th, 2021 edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast based in St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. It's a United Church of Christ. It's an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. And I am privileged as Richard Lanford to be the pastor who happens to be a redhead. And not only do I welcome you to this podcast, I wanted to let you know that a good part of the inspiration behind this sermon, and you'll hear it in some of my quotes uh, from the resource that is called Sojourners Magazine. It's been around for decades, and it's a great resource for trying to get a biblical perspective, but a progressive biblical perspective on what's going on in the world and what people of faith can do. So I invite you to join together with others listening to the sermon called Soul Medicine. The scriptures are led by Richard Schneider, or read by Richard Schneider, featuring Numbers 21 and John 3. Before going further where I release you to listening to the scriptures and the sermon, Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, move across the time and miles that separate the preaching of this sermon in a sanctuary and the listening to it wherever folks are. Bless the proclamation of your word at St. Peter's and the proclamation of your word as it is reproduced through this podcast. Grant us what we need, the grace that we need, for the living of these days. In the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen. And now, here are the readings in the sermon for March 14th, 2021. Our first reading is from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The Hebrews have been wandering in the wilderness for some time after their their escape from Egypt. God has given them water from the rock and manna and quail to eat, but freedom from slavery, food, drink, and Moses' leadership is not enough. From Mount Hor, they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. 
So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This ends the reading from Numbers chapter 21. Our epistle lesson is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Here, Paul makes a basic proclamation of the gospel message and leads up to the result of salvation, us doing good deeds. As pastor quotes one of his seminary professors, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saved is never alone, meaning it is accompanied by good works. You were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the greatest love which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This ends the reading of the epistle. The gospel reading today is John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus talked with Nicodemus about being born of the Spirit and thus entering the kingdom of God. Now Jesus makes a reference to our Old Testament story, finds himself in it, and then John expands on the meaning of Jesus for the world. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Here ends the reading of the gospel lesson and the scripture readings for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of God for the people of God. Some of you may remember the story of my hospitalization following my car accident when I was 19. I had to spend the first 24 hours in ICU. That was standard, that was standard operating procedure, I understand. At one point, my mom showed up and sat in a corner chair. Not that it was awkward or anything. She stayed. She stayed. And still she stayed. It's not like we did not talk, but I did not expect her to stick through this with me. And if she did go home, and I think she did at one point, it was not for long that she came back. I had never experienced this kind of thing before, and it made a lasting impression on me. I learned something about parental love, and about my mom specifically, who did not easily talk about love. In my dark hour, she was present and supportive. Among clergy, we talk about the ministry of presence. And the ministry of presence, whether you're ordained or not, is not to be underestimated. Aware that although vaccines are making a real difference, we still live in the wake of over half a million fellow Americans having died from the virus. And all the other damage has rained down upon so many as a result. Healing. A ministry of presence and peace. They're all still worth talking about. Let me share with you then part of a book review written by Chicagoan and Orthodox Christian Julie Vassalatos. In the latest issue, actually now the April one has come up, but in the March issue of Sojourner's Magazine, she she reviewed a devotional, an anthology called Darkness is as Light. Of this devotional, She, the reviewer, writes, We are living in dark times. A perfectly timed and distinctive new devotional, Darkness is as Light, wrestles with the dark, and from its many entries, emerges a clear chronicle of the real power and meaning of God's grace for us, even, especially, in the dark. Meditations by 22 authors are based on scriptural texts and grouped by theme, provision, sweetness, healing, death, fall, health, trial, consolation, and closeness. She continues, these are self-consciously women's words based on women's experience. There are occasional visions recounted in these pages and a miracle or two, but mainly we see the experiences met every step of the way by grace. 
grace of Christ shared with shunned St. Protein of the woman at the well, ravages of bipolar disorder, sexual abuse, food insecurity, homelessness, inability to pay the rent, leaving an abusive spouse, caretaking for a chronically ill spouse, sheltering from an abusive parent, loss of a child, unexpected surgery, the exhaustion of mother and five young children. But this collection is not a downer, she said, far from it. Each entry sings with one theme, Christ is present. And it is this present God we can trust to sustain us, draw us closer, and sanctify us no matter what. The devotional, Julie says, will be welcomed by all readers seeking to deepen their knowledge of Christ and understood by anyone who has ever been subjected to the confusion of darkness and suffering. We have passed the one-year mark since the World Health Organization declared the coronavirus a global pandemic. Paula Fuentes Leghorn reports, as we enter year two of this pandemic in the middle of Women's History Month, we must reckon with the fact that women have disproportionately felt the negative impact. The fallout of this inequity will be felt for years to come. The pandemic has exacerbated many of the problems women in the U.S. already face. Women who are experiencing poverty or who belong in marginalized communities are more likely to contract COVID-19 and to die from it. Women are 1.8 times more likely than men to have lost their jobs during the pandemic. Some women are being forced to quarantine in demeaning situations or dangerous households. Women face greater risk of exposure to the coronavirus because they are more likely to work in service industries or healthcare. 58% of the workers in the most at-risk occupations are women, and women make up 78% of the workforce across all U.S. healthcare jobs. And she lists more pressures brought to bear upon women due to the pandemic. So when we have this devotional by women and their experiences, including their hope from the presence of Christ and faith in God's grace, we know that these women recently have undergone even more, perhaps, than what Julie first lifted up for my quotation. And let me share with you one of those devotionals, not all. Stasia Braswell's entry for the first verse of Matthew 28, which means that the verse of the resurrection starts, but it's just the first verse. She says, hope is not a subjective experience, but a crown of martyrdom, an orientation towards truth and beauty that chooses Christ and Christ again. Even when there is every indication that I have been abandoned, hope is an action, a ritual, a process. It is never a feeling, but a choice. Hope is a patient endurance of emotion, of grief 
and suffering and failure. Hope is repentance, turning back, getting up, and choosing Christ. Even when I am blind and stumbling, when God feels distant and silent, Christ is harrowing and hallowing the grave in which we left. Presence, whether it is felt or not. Christ's presence for you and me to choose, to perceive, to trust, embrace, and hope in. This is hope. This is the in front of usness of a bloodied and risen grace. It is so meant. The Hebrews went through torture for a while in our reading from Numbers. As we listened to Rich, we remember that the ungrateful God-blaming proto-Israelites brought this sickness and death upon themselves by their bold irreverence and by God's sentencing boundaries. Yet the story of the bronze serpent becoming a channel of healing when the ailing Hebrews looked at it, requiring the level of faith, has an ironic bitter twist for them. How it must have felt for them in their season of anguish to look up at the image of a serpent, the same thing whose bite brought disease and death, which would remind them of their arrogant sin and find in it their life, their cure. <clears throat> they truly had to face their fallenness in order to find mercy healing, and the restorative presence of God. Medicine for the soul, as well as the body. No wonder this passage is in our Lenten lectionary. The presence of God's forgiveness and healing in darkness and death. The Reverend Nadia Bowles Weber, acclaimed speaker, author, and Lutheran pastor, shared this observation about such pain and how it is needful for us to find medicine for the soul in the grace of Christ. In a sermon from last August called Confession and Cancellation, a sermon on forgiveness, she preached, Peter knew what it meant to really screw things up and be given grace. That is to say, he knew about binding and loosing. When he denied his teacher, his friend, Messiah, when he showed a complete failure of nerve the night Jesus was killed, I can only imagine the self-loathing that ensued. I can only imagine how hard it was to make eye contact with Mary Magdalene that next day how hard it was to even get out of bed. He was in a prison of his own making and needed to be free. He needed someone with the keys to let him out. He didn't need a therapist or a new elimination diet or a book on the power of positive thinking. He needed forgiveness. The Church of Jesus Christ, she said, could only be built 
on someone who knew what it felt like to be in that much need of forgiveness. I just want to make a case for we, the church, not forgetting that confessing our faith is deeply connected to confessing our need for grace. Because there is loosing to be done in this world. We are bound by our failures and missteps and the words we said in our worst moments. They form the bars in our spiritual prison cells. We've got to take the keys out whenever we can and free each other, remind each other that we are forgiven. We need to be loose, she said, loose from that which weighs us down, our sin, shame, and despair, loose from our pride, anger, and resentment, and guilt for not being able to live up to even our own values. Going through tremendous suffering, as did the women in darkness, is as light. And large numbers of American women and women around the world during this pandemic. Going through a crisis like the Hebrews who complained against both God and Moses. Going through the prisons of self-loathing which our sins can build around us. All of these find healing from the grace of God we know in Jesus. And in the case of the Old Testament, still totally from the mercy of an ever-present God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Bible is one long narrative about God's commitment to this world, to creation, to all that has been from the beginning. That is what we hear too in these words of John the Evangelist. That is what unfolds in scene after scene of Jesus' life. A singular commitment to seek out and save what has been lost, to restore what has been neglected, and to heal what has been wounded, even to bring life back from the dead. Isaac Viegas, also of Sojourners, says that the Greek word in verse 17 for be saved or salvation is borrowed from first century medical discourse. To save meant to heal, to stitch up a wound, to perform a surgery. He suggests that salvation is God's act to heal us from sin, to restore us from all that harms us and our neighbors. Soul medicine involves the presence of God's grace, which we know, no matter what, in Jesus. Isaac continues, not only does the Greek word hearken back to the medical profession, but this particular passage returns us to a story of healing in, you guessed it, Numbers 21. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus identified himself with the bronze snake from an old, odd story 
the story about cheering people who had been bitten by poisonous snakes. Jesus presents himself as the antidote for what afflicts Israel. The mission of Jesus is to bring us into the care of God's love, which is our medicine. The mission of Jesus is to bring us into the care of God's love, which is our medicine. I really like that phrase, that sentence. This care of God's love is always before us, even if we do not feel it, when life is pressurized, scary, demeaning, abusive, and finds us behind self-made prison bars. This care of God's love leads us to really face our need to be forgiven, to be loosed by grace, to meditate on the faith fact that Christ is forever Love is steadfast, we hear in the scriptures. Steadfast means it ain't going anywhere. We are never abandoned by the one who went to the very cross for us. As it says at the end of Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Isaac Villegas concludes his little article by saying, As Christians, we believe that Jesus shows us what God's love looks like. The love that created us, sustains us, and heals us. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see the heart of God, the pulse of the universe. Jesus is God's invitation to join the work of healing salvation, and eternal life in the here and the now. The mission of Jesus is to bring us into the care of God's love, which is our hope, which is our salvation, our present comfort, our strength, our inspiration for bold action, our guide. That is our medicine. Our soul is the presence of Christ, no matter what. As always, I appreciate your tuning in to listen to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. And uh, as you listen to the sermon, and as I, you know, preached at the beginning part reading from and talking about darkness is as light. The, the quote from uh, Nadia Boltz Weber and the ending uh, where I quote Isaac Viegas on what the, uh, the mission of Jesus is. Those are some of my favorite parts of this message and I hope they meant something to you too. God bless your week.